This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm crazy grateful for all of you who subscribe, share, and leave reviews. If this is your first time, welcome to the Elevate community. Like our home church, Living Word, I and the Elevate leaders work as hard as we can to build an atmosphere of love to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. It would mean the world to us if you helped us get the word out by sharing this episode on social media. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate, visit us at iloveelevate.com, follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. How are y'all doing tonight? Thank you, Sam. We are here for one reason and one reason only. We're here to elevate! Jesus! Elevate! That's what it is all about. We're continuing in our series in studying not just the great works of God, not the incredible things he has done for us, but we are studying God himself. We are turning our focus upward to a vertical perspective of who he is. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Because how you see God is going to change or create your worship towards him. If you have a low view of God, your worship will be for yourself. If you have a high view of God, then we will align ourselves with his commandments and with his character. There are two categories of God's attributes. The first category is about his infinite power, that he is all life that he is everywhere present, that all power is within himself, that he holds all knowledge. These are the things that make God set apart from any other being, that he is higher than anything that is created. And then there are those attributes that are of his perfect character, his perfect personality, you might say. And this God of love shares these qualities with his people. Last week we talked about love and how God is a God of love who pours out his love into us and through us for the people around us. Tonight we're going to study God's holiness, that he is set apart, that he is entirely other than us. I want to open with a thought. It's a heavy and maybe for some of us kind of a painful thought. It's the idea that according to cancer.gov, there were 1,806,590 new cases of cancer last year in the United States alone. 606,000 of those people will die from it. Cancer is a painfully common disease, sickness in our American culture. It's pervasive everywhere. That same website said that we have a 39.5% chance of contracting cancer in our lifetime. Roll the dice. And cancer is really strange. And many types of cancer, if you catch it early enough, not only can you extend your life, but you may even be able to treat it and be totally cured. But the tricky thing is that most of the time you don't show any symptoms until you're after that window. And so it's scary. And so in short, many people may not even know that they have it until it's too late. Now, I know that's serious, and for some of us, it's actually very painful. But to become even more serious, we have to understand that sin 
is a disease with a 100% fatality. That it is infecting and killing everyone we will ever lock eyes with. That it is a cancer killing creation. And even though it is disrupting to our lifestyles and painful, God's holiness exposes that we have sin before it's too late. To reveal to his people, to reveal to those who are not yet his people, that there is treatment, and he gave his son so that we could have that treatment before it's too late. And that's what God's holiness does for his people. It exposes and illuminates, and it's hard to accept. It's hard to be, to be laid out in front of the x-ray of God's holiness, and yet that's what it does, is it pierces through what is comfortable. It demands a change of lifestyle, and it reveals in something in us that we can't cure ourselves. But it's within time for those who are willing to look towards the Lord. The word holiness is used 850 times in the Old Testament alone. Holiness is not an aspect of God or an aspect of his personality or an aspect of what he does. Holiness is the very essence of who God is. Everything he does, all of who he is, every word that he speaks is saturated in his holiness. There is nothing apart from him that is holy. And every attribute that he has is out of his holiness. His justice is holy. His sovereignty is holy. His love is holy. His wisdom is holy. And so we're going to study his holiness tonight. And one of the most beautiful passages to begin to wrap our minds around this is a vision that God gave Isaiah. And we're going to break it down just a little bit, and I hope that it's a little bit profound to you. Isaiah 6, we're going to read verses 1 through the beginning of 9, and we're just going to chew on it little by little as we go through. In the, king, in the year that King Uzziah died, pause. He is dating this because it's significant. Now, Uzziah was king for 52 years, and for a nation that was constantly overturning kings, this was a very long season of consistency for Israel. This was a big deal that they just had peace for a long time. And Uzziah was a good king. He worshiped God. He pursued God. And so in response, God blessed him. He gave him more power and more wealth. He expanded the kingdom. He made his army great and powerful. And then Uzziah became prideful. He looked at all the great things that he was doing and how great his country was. And he got, I guess you could say, drunk on his own power. And he wanted not only political privileges, but he actually wanted spiritual and priestly privileges as well. So that one day, Uzziah pushes past the priests of the temple into the holy place where only the priests were allowed. And at the protest of 80 men, rejects all of them and tries to offer incense before God, which only the priests were allowed to do. This was not out of his worship. This was out of his arrogance. And as he is going to lay fire on the altar of incense, he looks and he sees that his arm is covered in rotting flesh of leprosy. God struck him with a disease that spot in that moment. He, unholy, prideful in his sin, approaches what is holy and is struck by God for it. So the priests usher him out quickly And Uzziah will spend the rest of his short days in a separate house from the palace 
dying alone away from his family and away from the temple of God. And so it was a jarring thing when suddenly after this long season of peace, Uzziah has this heart change, this sinful thing happen, and he's brought to death in a terrible way. And now there is a vacuum of power on the throne of Israel. Now let's approach this again. Isaiah 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne. In this tumultuous time, when there is no one on the throne of Israel, Isaiah sees who the true King of Kings is. He sees who's actually in power. And he is a holy God. Not a God who is subject to sin or arrogance or pride. He is a God that is fully in authority. He is high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. In those days, a king's vestments would show his authority. And the longer the train of his robe was, the more power he had. And so what is it saying? It's saying that, that the Lord, this king, the king of kings, his train fills the temple completely. There is no room for an adversary. There is no room for someone else to try to take a little bit of claim. He is completely in charge. Above him stood the seraphim. These strange spiritual angelic creatures. Seraphim means burning ones. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. Consider that. These are unsinful, unfallen angels. And they have to cover their face from the blinding light of God's glory. And with two, they covered their feet representing a servant before a master and his feet being uncovered was shameful. They're saying they're not worthy to be in his presence. And with two, he flew. One called to another. So they have this, this back and forth calling back and forth of worship before the throne. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy. It's spoken three times. This isn't just they're being redundant. Their, their language is different than ours. If I wanted to say that someone was a good runner, I might say he runs fast. But if I want to say, no, he's like the best, I would say he's the fastest, right? So for them, if they wanted to say that someone was a good runner, they would say he is a great runner. If they wanted to say he's the best runner, they would say he's a runner of runners, But to take it to the third degree, holy, 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 is to say that God's holy, he is the holiest, and then he dwells in a plane above what we can imagine. He is the the est of estes, if that makes sense. I love the Jewish translation. The way the Jews translate this, this line is they say that he is more holy than the holiest holiness. So here's the holiest Holiness you can be, he's more than that. Holy, holy, holy. Notice that they're not singing truth, 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 which he is a God of truth. They're not saying love, 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 or justice, justice, justice. They're singling out 24-7 around the throne, singing of God's great holiness to the nth degree. Whatever the holiest we can imagine is, it's beyond that and then a level beyond that. Is Yahweh of hosts. Hosts can mean of armies. It can mean of angels. It can mean of all 
creation. It can mean of the sun, moon, and stars. Which of these is he sovereign over? All of the above. Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Just like his train, his power fills the temple, his glory fills the earth. There is no room for a competitor among the earth for his glory. He is it. His throne is the heavens and the earth is his footstool. He is God. Let's keep reading. And the foundations and the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, this is Isaiah. He is like on his face. He says, woe is me. That's the same way of saying, I am cursed. I am damned. I am hopeless before you, God. For I am lost. I am undone. I am coming apart at the seams. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King Yahweh of hosts. He's saying, I've got nothing. I'm hopeless before here. I am quaking on the floor before your glory. Because you are holy and because I am not holy. And you have to understand, Isaiah was a prophet. He, he used his mouth to speak the very words of God to people. Of everyone in Israel, he was probably the one who loved God the most. He was probably the holiest of everyone. And he is face down, woe is me before you are holy God and king. Let's keep reading. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, and it's almost like God's not even talking to him. It's like he's just talking to himself or talking to the other, the other angels in the room. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah's like, uh, I'll go. Is there any way you can use me? I volunteer as tribute. I'm coming. So I wanted to do something kind of fun tonight. I thought, wouldn't it be great if we joined the angels that are singing right now? Wouldn't it be cool if we got to be a part of the chorus? Is anyone? All right. You guys are already kind of like, uh-oh. Right? All right. So what's going to happen? This side of the room is going to stand up. This side of the room is going to stand up. Yeah, you back there. Hi, shadows. Come on up. You Come up. Fill up some of the space up here. That's right. Walk away from the wall. Y'all can do this. All right. Do we have a slide with just the, the song, Holy, Holy, Holy? Oh, y'all are so beautiful. Feel free to come further forward. Yes, come out of the shadows. I see you. Do we have a slide with that? Sweet. All right. All right, now, guys, I want you guys to face them. And you guys, we're going to face them. And we're going to do this together. Yeah. We're going to see who can, get, who can get loud in here. Now, take a minute. I want you to consider, shh, consider for a second what we're going to be a part of right now. Because we are going to make this fun. We're going to see who can get loud. And we're going to, like, call back and forth and see if we can beat each other and how loud we are. But what if, Drew, what if, what if just for a second amidst the noise and the chaos that's about to ensue, 
we actually turned our thoughts towards the God that we're worshiping. Because I'll tell you that it's in that moment that we will be joining a chorus. Because all of creation is not concerned with who's loud. All of creation has their attention turned on who's sitting on the throne. So I want to do that. So let's get loud. Let's get crazy. But I, I challenge you, in your heart, let's turn this towards God, that he is holy, holy, holy. All right, so this side of the room, you guys are going to be saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And you're just going to yell it. And you guys, you're going to be like, uh-huh, that was nice. It was very cute. You guys were cute. But what we're going to do is we're going to take the whole earth is full of his glory, and we're going to be louder than them. And you're going to listen to them and be like, we were just, we were warming up, and we saw what you did, but it's about to take it to the next level. And we're going to go back and forth a few times. You guys ready for this? You guys ready? All right. All right. So whole earth people, let's give them the respect of listening to see what level we have to beat. Are you guys ready? We're going to get this going. Are you ready? Three, two, one. Whole That was cute. Come on. You ready? One, two, three. They did okay. You think you can beat that? Let's go. One, two, three. Go for it, Caroline. Lead away. Go again. One more time. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, guys. Grab your seats. That was beautiful. <laughs> we'll go collect your vocal cords from the floor over here somewhere. Exodus 15. They have, the Israelites have just come out of the Red Sea. The Red Sea collapsed over the Egyptians. The Egyptian army is defeated, and they are singing a song that Moses wrote, and he writes this, Who is like you, O Yahweh, among the gods? Who are the gods they're talking about here? They're talking about the Egyptian gods, right? The god of the Nile, the god of the sun. These idols were the greatest and most powerful beings that the Egyptians could invent in their minds to worship. And Moses and the Israelites are looking at bodies floating in the Red Sea, and they're saying, who is like you among their gods? Their gods are so pitiful. Look at the expanse of separation between our God, who is the great I am, and the best things that humans can invent to worship. Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? There's two definitions for holiness, and both are so intricate to who God is. The first one is from the Hebrew word kadosh. Kadosh. And kadosh means to cut off, to sever, to be separated from. It means other than or set apart, unique. So God is separated from his creation. The whole idea of all of creation is God is this new age pantheist, garbage. No, no, no. Their God is too small. If their God is limited to the universe, our God laughs at them. That's the greatest that a human mind can invent. No, our God is separated above the universe. He is separated from time and space and matter because he spoke it into existence. He is 
other than. He is wholly, entirely unique from all of creation. Anytime we try to reach to understand God, we are in level one, and there's still two holies to go above that. Are you following me? Who is like our God? Unique, high, transcendent, completely different than us. If there is any way that we are able to comprehend him, it's because he revealed himself in a way we could understand. Who is like our God? The second definition for holiness, or the fancy word is impeccability, is that God is entirely morally pure. He is flawless and perfect in all that he is. His goodness is perfect. His justice is morally perfect. Everything about him is impeccable. Impeccable timing, my Lord. Yes, Lion King. All of his decisions, judgments, and laws are perfect. To sin would be to defy his own nature. He occupies a moral class that we don't even understand. He is holy. And because he is other, because he is perfect and pure, he is not neutral towards sin. He is repulsed and actively against what is evil. When he sees what is wicked, he has a revulsion towards it. And his plan through Jesus Christ to the end of the age is to once and for all eradicate sin from creation. Psalm 5, 4 through 6. These are not politically correct verses. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. Yahweh abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Holy God does not tolerate unrighteousness. He only delights in purity. We don't define holiness and apply it to God. Holiness is defined by who God is. Does that make sense? If your perspective of God is a horizontal view, like God has been brought down to your level, the same level that we hang out in, out in the, the game room side, we just see God on this level. He's just my buddy that's just sort of cool with whatever. He's like my apathetic coach that lets me get away with anything. He's my senile grandfather that just sort of likes me no matter what. If we have this horizontal view of God, we have to understand, first of all, that's a God of an idol that we created in our own image. And secondly, that is a God that we will never understand or it blocks us from understanding who God is, who his holiness is, and what his holiness does out of love for us. You will, if you have this horizontal view of God, have a very shocking realization of who God is, and it will be catastrophic to you when you stand before him at the throne room. Think about the people, the amazing people, the holy people that encounter God, Moses hid his face, and yet despite hiding his face, the skin on his face glowed to people. That's kind of crazy. When John saw, John, Jesus' disciple, saw heaven, it says that he fell on his face like a dead man, just collapsed, his whole body seized, and he goes down before the glory of God. When Peter saw Jesus do the miracle with the boatload of fish, Peter falls down at Jesus' feet and yells, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Even though God became flesh as Jesus, he did not separate himself from his holiness. Remember the transfiguration where they see Jesus 
with the veil pulled back. And he's glowing, his blows his clothes into being white. His skin glows and they fall on their faces before him. This is the God we serve. Yes, he made us sons and daughters. He calls us friends. But we must never lose a very vertical perspective of who he is. He is high and lifted up. He is holy. His holiness affects us in three ways. And I want you to remember these three because they're so important. And they're a pathway of God's love for us. And it's out of his great love and his unwavering justice that these three will be extended to us. The first one is that God's holiness brings judgment and punishment to sin. There's no way around it. His holiness eradicates evil. And all those who cling to evil as their God will be pulverized by God's holiness. If we are impure, his holiness is dangerous. It's lethal to us. Not because he is so bad, but because he is so good. But while his holiness is destructive to evil, and it's destructive to those who reject him, it is redemptive to those who call on him as Lord. Encountering a holy God should turn us to repentance. Drives us to call out things like, I'm unclean. I am a sinful person. My lips are unclean. I'm from a people that are unclean. I have no right to be in your presence. And we need this. We need his holiness to do this. We need it to illuminate our sin. Because like cancer, unless we know that we're wicked, you know what's real about sin is that most of the time we, most of the time it's, we enjoy it. Most of the time we're like throwing ourselves into sin. Forget leaving the back door open to the devil. We're like throwing the front door open with balloons. So many times we, we forget that we even had to compromise to get where we're at. And we need him to turn on this light, this x-ray through our hearts to reveal the number and depths of the shadows in our lives. If I could take a flashlight right now and shine it sideways against this wall, you realize this wall is not flat at all. How, how so true is that of our hearts? When he shines his light in there, all of a sudden we see there's cancer. And there's nothing that we can do for ourselves. We're like covered in mud with our muddy hands trying to wipe mud off of ourselves and it'll never happen. Because as long as we're muddy on our hands, we'll never be clean. And so his holiness reveals something to us and a part of that revelation is we must turn to the only one who is holy. There is no other hope for our sin and our wickedness but to pursue and to receive the love of the one who loves us. Isaiah falls down on his face and says, Woe is me. I am lost. The greater our view is of God's holiness, the smaller our view is going to be of our goodness. Recognizing God's holiness obliterates the argument of, I'm just good enough. Or at least I'm not as bad as them. Because before God's holiness, we stand alone. And his light reveals everything. There's no room for, but I did a lot of good things to balance out the bad things. There is only, woe is me, I am a sinner. Maybe for, for the first time, like Isaiah, we will feel the disgust towards our own sin. 
And you know what? It's painful. It's painful seeing that we're not perfect. We don't have it all together. We're not nearly as good as we thought we were. But it's the first step in God's plan towards making us holy. Because step two, first, is holiness judges and punishes sin. But step two is that his holiness gives comfort to his people. Why? Because his holiness does not leave our God unapproachable. We have a God who seeks, who pursues, who stepped out of heaven to be with us. And his holiness is often expressed in how he redeems and saves his people. God's purpose, this is what, when he looks at you, here is the direction he's going. Here's his goal for you and me. Exodus 19, 5-6. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, you shall be, oh, so beautiful. You shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. I'm setting you apart. They are not my treasured possession. I'm choosing you to be my treasured possession. I'm choosing you to be other than for myself. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So the difference between who you were before the Lord came into your life, maybe there's some in here who haven't given your life to him yet, the difference between who you are now, if that's you, and the person that God is calling you to be is the difference is holiness. You are not, and he is calling you to be. Isaiah 118, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. That's white, by the way. God's vision for you is not who you were. God loves you way too much to leave you like you were. So many people come and they're like, Mom, my sin's not that bad. Oh, what I'm doing, it's not. No. When God calls you, he bids you to come and die to your old self. If you would follow me, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. And we can't do this on our own. We cannot make ourselves holy. That's why God in Malachi 3 shows himself as a silversmith, and he is purifying silver. There's a lot of heat involved, by the way. And he melts and he scrapes the grime and the dross off the top of the silver to make it pure. And that's what God does for us. Isaiah 6, 6 6-7. This is what Isaiah writes about. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the fire. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away in your sin atoned for. This is a turning point in all of Scripture. This is so cool. Oh, get chills. Up until this point, they had a whole bunch of laws. They're called the cleanliness laws. And most of the cleanliness laws revolved around things that were dead, dying, or diseased. Don't touch them. Don't touch a carcass of something. Don't touch someone who is, has a certain disease. Stay away from them. The cleanliness represented their holiness. And guess what? What did you think happened if you, who were clean, holy, touched something that was unholy? What happened? It made you unholy. And what happens in Isaiah's vision is that the angel takes this coal, and instead of the coal becoming unholy to Isaiah, what was holy actually transforms Isaiah to being holy. This is actually altering the whole direction 
of Scripture because Jesus will walk on earth as God himself. And he will touch a man with leprosy, but instead of Jesus getting leprosy, this man is healed. And he's going to come over here to this kid who is dead. And instead of touching someone who is dead and being unclean, this kid raises back to life again. And he's going to come over here and he's going to see a guy who is lame. And he's going to look past his legs and say, sir, I'm looking at your heart. Your sins are forgiven. Because only God can forgive sins. Because when God walks on earth, he can touch what is unholy and he can make it holy. Elevate, do you understand what I'm saying? Is that you do not make God unholy. His holiness extends to you out of the love of his heart and he makes you holy. That is the God that we serve. John 1, nine. First John 1, nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus that coal represented Jesus and what God does for his people. So God's holiness judges and punishes sin. It reveals sin. God's holiness is extended to us. His holiness gives comfort to his people. And the third is that God's holiness calls us to be holy. God placed on you his son's righteousness, like a white tuxedo or a white gown, and he lays it over his people so that he doesn't see the old you anymore. He doesn't see the guilt in you anymore. He only sees his son's righteousness because his son walked perfectly before God and man, and he lays that perfection over you so that you are now holy. Hebrew says that you are now worthy. You have the right to walk into the holy of holies. King Uzziah didn't even make it into the Holy of Holies before he was cursed with leprosy. And yet God says, you can step into my presence because of my son. I extend this holiness to you. And you know what? You now have an assignment. You fight for your holiness, tooth and nail. You guard and protect the holiness I've given you so that your holiness can be a light to the people around you. You're going to be set apart. You're going to be different. You're going to look different than the people you're around every day. And when they ask, what makes you different? have a testimony and our enemy is defeated by the blood of jesus and by that testimony first peter four or one verse 14 as obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance i've made you holy don't go back don't be like a dog that returns and eats its own vomit again you have gotten this out you're separated from your sin don't go back to it anymore But as he who called you is holy, as our God is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. We are set apart by God's grace for purpose. Should we continue to sin? Is there any room for us to say that my sin is acceptable? That it's not that bad? before a holy God who gave his son for you to wear his righteousness? There's no room. Our allegiance is no longer to our own success. It's no longer to our own pleasure. It's no longer to what's best for me. Our allegiance now belongs to the king of kings. There should be a vacuum of authority and leadership in your life that the king of kings sits in. It should be sitting on the throne of your heart now. 
because you're now a temple of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't sit in a temple anymore where his robe fills the temple. He now sits in your heart where his robe should be extending out of your life to everyone you meet. Pastor Paul Tripp wrote an article on holiness, and he he wrote this. Between the already, as in already holy, of your conversion, and the not yet, as in we're not yet completely sanctified, we're not finished yet, of your homegoing, obedience matters. Every thought, every desire, every word, every choice, and every action must be done in a spirit of humble surrender to the commands of God. 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own. You are bought with a price, high price. And you may be thinking to yourself, the same thing I think to myself, I can't do that. I can't make every thought and word and action. I can't, I can't make everything perfect. I can't be good enough. My, I know my thoughts. They're, it's dark in here. And every word I speak, man, I speak so many words that are just empty and worthless. You may be thinking that to yourself too. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, I, it's going to be so hard. I, I don't want to let my sin go. I enjoy my sin. I've got two two words of hope for you if you think the way I do. The first one is that where you once were a slave to sin, you didn't have any choice but to sin. You were predestined to sin. Jesus has set you free, and you are now bought with the blood of Christ, a slave to his righteousness. So where before you didn't have the choice, you were going to sin. Every thought of your mind was going to be selfish. You now have the choice to see temptation and say, absolutely not to turn the compass of our hearts towards Jesus. We have the power to reject sin because we are no longer slaves to it. And the second one, this is so cool. This may be like mind-blowing for a couple of you. The second one is that Jesus promises to give you a helper. Does anyone know his name? The Holy Spirit. He is the spirit of, what do you think his job is? When Jesus was going away and he's like, I know you're going to feel alone sometimes. I'm not leaving you orphans. I'm sending you a helper. He is the spirit of holiness. Guess what he's saying? He has a few jobs. Job number one, to make you holy, to purify God's people, to purify the church, and to expand the church into the utter reaches of the world, to take the kingdom, to expand all this worship everywhere in the world to God. That's his job, is to come and purify his people, his church. You know what? He's going to ask you to be a part of that kingdom expansion. Isaiah 6, 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? If you have called on the Lord as your Savior, if you said, Lord, I give you my life. I am a sinner before you. I believe that your son died for me. I live for you. And he is calling you to mission. He is calling you to look up and go, I'll go. If you can use me with unclean lips and muddy footprints, if you can use me, I'm yours. You sit on the throne of my heart. I'll be your temple wherever we go. I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go. And you can... Check out Isaiah 6 and find out what he called Isaiah 2. Recap. 
And I'd like to call one of the worship team back up. We're going to have a few minutes of prayer together after the recap. The first is that holy means set apart and morally pure. Holiness is God's nature. Because of his holiness, he is vehemently against all unrighteousness. His holiness reveals our sin so we might repent. His holiness makes us holy. Thank you, Jesus. And his holiness calls us to live holy. I've got two challenges for you tonight, and they're hard challenges. They're not like, you know, go be nice to someone like most of the challenges are. My first challenge is that you would spend a few minutes in prayer and that you would repent before a holy God. That you would let him shine that light in and maybe reveal some things that you've been ignoring, that you didn't want to see in your heart. That he's going to start exposing some motives inside of you that you really are kind of uncomfortable to look at and repent before your holy God. And if you have not called on the Lord as your Savior, repentance is the first step in your salvation. It's simply this, that you repent and that you call to him in faith and call him your Lord. That you believe that Jesus died for your sin. Other than that, there's nothing else you can do. There's no works. There's nothing that you can do that's great enough or good enough to earn your salvation. All you can do is go before holy God, speak what is true. I'm a sinner. Please forgive me my sin and believe in faith that Jesus died for your sins. And so I'm challenging you guys tonight, wherever you are in your walk with the Lord, whether you're not at all or whether you've been walking with the Lord for ages, spend a moment and repent before your God. Let's take a couple minutes, just silence and prayer. Y'all can look up at me. Repentance is not just confession. Confession is admitting that we were wrong. But repentance is, I was going this way, and I stopped, and I started going this way. And so for us to repent before a holy God is to actually say, Lord, I accept your forgiveness. I'm now changing my lifestyle. And I believe tonight, some of us need to surrender our mouths for our lying and our gossip. Some of us need to start surrendering our minds for our lust and our pride. Some of us need to start surrendering our hands Some of us need to start surrendering the places that we go, the things that we do. Maybe we need to start surrendering some friends, some TV shows, some music, some media. What are those things? Like, if if God is going to come in and do a work in us, we need to fight for the work he is doing. Our works don't save us, but our works should align with the new heart condition that he's giving us. So, I'd like you to pray for a few minutes about what God is calling you to repent in, to change. What's to surrender? Whenever they came to John the Baptist, he's like dunking people. And they said, all right, we repent. What do we do? He looks out at people and he gives them instructions. He talks to people generally and he says, whoever has two, you should share. Stop being greedy. Start giving one away. The tax collectors say, what do we do? And he says, stop exhorting people. Stop taking extra money. Stop stealing. The soldiers say, what should we do? He says, stop oppressing people. Like take the lifestyle you used to have and do something different. Give that to the Lord. 
Take your selfishness and become selfless. And if you're thinking to yourself, I can't do that, you have a helper. You have a spirit of holiness that is empowering you to do what would have been impossible before. You have a spirit of holiness that you can cry out to that's going to help you in temptation. And he's going to help you to avoid situations of temptation. Let's take a few minutes. And your second challenge is to live holy. And it's going to begin with our prayer. Our prayer to the Holy Spirit. That he would reveal things and empower us to surrender things. To take on new things that honor God and the holiness he gave us. Now let's pray about that. I believe there are people tonight being set free from lying, set free from violence, set free from pornography, set free from gossip and cheating. Lord, there are some people here that are being set free from guilt. There are people in here that are being set free from cursing themselves and speaking negatively over themselves, speaking negatively over the people that you love. Lord, change our hearts. Holy Spirit, come and bear fruit in us and through us. May the people that used to speak awfully about teachers and people they didn't like become full of love. May those who are unsettled and anxious and hateful against themselves become full of peace. Lord, I pray that those who are dealing with sexual sin will be set free and overflow with self-control. Lord, let those who are impatient have patience. Lord, set students free from anger tonight. Lord, as we repent, do in us what we cannot do for ourselves. Let your holiness from your throne flow through us as your temples. Let the train of your robe fill us so much that it forces out any competitor, any lie of the enemy, any old sin that would try to hold on, drive away the enemy and shut down his lies from our ears in Jesus' name. Oh, Heavenly Father, may your holiness set your people free tonight and give us the courage and discipline to fight to protect the holiness you gave us. And Father, whenever we sin again, Lord, I pray that we will come humbly to your throne in repentance so that out of your love, forgive us again and again. Lord, may we fight the good fight. May we be the righteous that though we fall seven times, we get up seven times. Lord, I pray there's students in here that never go back to the vomit that you purged from them. We love you, Lord. We are yours and yours alone. May we be wholly set apart for you with a purpose. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students, 7th through 12th grades, are welcome.